You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, welcome into Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily TCU podcast. Uh, I don't know where you guys stand on the NFL. I'm a Cowboys fan, so today, Sunday, when I'm recording this, was difficult. I know uh, as Cowboys fans, we kind of understand the drill. But anyway, um, maybe I can help you recover with a little TCU news. I wish I had a more optimistic first segment. We're going to talk about actually one uh, one player in the transfer portal that TCU missed on, another player in the transfer portal that it appears that they missed on. Um, so we'll talk about that in segment one. Then in segment two, it will get a little cheerier, though, because TCU basketball, hey, second game in a row, uh, they found a way. They beat Oklahoma by the score of 59-58 to 58 on Saturday in overtime. And another football, another basketball game, excuse me, where they didn't play their best offensively. It was a struggle. It was a rock fight. But, hey, they got it done. Um, so we'll cover all that in today's episode. But let's start with some TCU football. Uh, a player I was really excited about in fitting, given his last name, Jackson player, defensive tackle from Tulsa. Um, he committed to Baylor today, which is just, you know, it's it's disappointing. I would say this about Jackson. Um, I think he's going to have a chance to be really good in the Big 12. I wish TCU could have got their hands on him. It seemed like the chatter was more for Arkansas a couple days ago, but Jackson is from Waco, and I guess that combined with the ability to play for Dave Aranda um, was enticing. Another player in the transfer portal that TCU fans have been excited about the last few days, same name, different last name, Jackson Dart, um, sophomore quarterback, was a true freshman last year from USC. Didn't play a ton last season, but showed some promise, was a really highly rated recruit. Uh, seemed like the type of guy that could come in the quarterback room and immediately up the competition in a big way. And nothing's official yet. Um, so anyway, on, on Friday, a report came out that TCU was one of the three schools he was targeting in his visits. It was Oklahoma, it was Ole Miss, it was TCU. That was from on3.com. Um, and again, nothing set in stone, but it appears like TCU is not high on that list anymore. Um, things can change. Hopefully by the time you're listening to this, things have changed. But it doesn't seem like they're really in the mix for Jackson Dart, the quarterback from USC. Brian Carrington was the uh, connection there. He was at USC before he came over to TCU in the offseason. So those are a couple of disappointing misses. Now, here's what I'll say about where we're at with this staff. I'm starting to hear some grumbling, and I think it's warranted to a certain extent. Um, TCU has done a, I think they've done a good job in the transfer portal. They have added some players that I feel like are going to add some good depth to this roster. Uh, Terrence Cooks, the linebacker from Texas. Um, Ish Burdine, the safety from Mizzou. Alan Ali, lineman from SMU. Jared Wiley, tight end from uh, Texas. Imani Bailey, running back from Louisiana. And Mark Perry, the safety from Colorado. Uh, I think there's some, some good pieces there. I feel like Wiley and Cooks and uh, Mark Perry could be players that could start for this team next season. But Jackson Player and Jackson Dart are the type of immediate impact guys that would really headline a class and would be impact players in important positions. I don't know if Jackson Dart would come in and win the job, 
but it would be another player in the quarterback room um, who at least pushed the other guys to be their best. I think Jackson player would immediately start in the middle, given how thin they are at nose tackle at the moment. And since this staff, like if, if I'm selling you on Sonny Dykes and the staff, I think the main thing that we would start with is guys like Rashad Samples, guys like Brian Carrington, and their recruiting prowess and their ability to work the transfer portal was a big uh, part of their success at SMU. So the fact that at least this cycle, they haven't yet found some of those, you know, top 10, top 15 transfers in the nation, it's a little concerning. But I'll also say this, I think ultimately, especially when you're talking about transfers that have limited eligibility, the biggest selling point is winning games. So you're going to see guys go places where they're going to have a chance to win and play in big games. And I hope TCU is in that mix next year. But the last few years, they haven't been. And I feel like that's that's hurting them right now. Now, does the staff need to overcome that? Sure, they got to overcome some of that. they got to win some battles. And I think they have. It should have been a little more under the radar than we thought. We'll see how this plays out. You know, another thing to remember is we're not quite through with this. You have high school players that you could sign in February. If they're able to somehow hold on to A.J. Allen and maybe get D.J. Allen back in the fold, I think that could be big for the team. Um, And then into the summer, you know, into the spring and summer, you're still going to have a lot of guys in the portal. What does this team look like when the year starts? Um, That remains to be seen. I I feel like the real... The real test for the staff is going to be how how do you look this season and what we expect to be sort of a rebuilding year. Are you able to see some marked improvement? Are you able to see winning some game, you know, winning some more games than expected? Are those things that that happen? And then what does the 2023 class look like? Because that's really going to be when we see the vision, the foundation. We see a whole year of recruiting. What does that look like for this staff? What are they selling to these young men? If they're still struggling at that point, I would start to be concerned. I think it's too early to hit any sort of panic button right now. But it's disappointing. And I understand if you're someone who has slogged through the last few years of TCU football and you're looking for some optimism and you're missing out on players like this and you feel frustrated and you feel a little hoodwinked. I would just say give it some time. And if they can start stacking up some wins, that's going to be the biggest pull in talent acquisition, right? So we'll see what happens. But Jackson Player headed to Baylor. Jackson Dart doesn't appear will be headed to TCU. We'll see if that changes the next few days. When we come back, we'll discuss TCU basketball. They got a win on Saturday. We'll break it down. This is Locked on Horn Frogs. Okay, time to talk some TCU basketball. They pull out a win against Oklahoma. 59 to 58 at home on Saturday. They're now 12 and 2 on the year, 2 and 1 in conference play. And it's another game where honestly, I mean improbable is probably the wrong word because they were in the game for the most part, but it just felt like they would sort of hang with Oklahoma, but they couldn't really take control of that game. They finally did sort of wrestle it away with about 5 minutes left in regulation, and then they give up this easy easy play at the basket, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um that sends it to overtime, right? somehow hold on in the overtime period and get a victory. Um, A couple things before we actually break down the game. One, 
that was a fantastic atmosphere on Saturday afternoon. Shout out to uh, Barstool TCU. I, I heard they put on a student tailgate um, that featured Sonny Dykes, and then Coach Dykes spoke at halftime. That's the most students I've seen in a TCU bas- game, basketball game probably since when I was a student, and they upset Kansas at home. And there weren't many students to start the game, but as word started to spread around that we might beat KU, more and more people started filling up the old DMC and then rushed the floor at the end of the game. But this team gets a victory over Oklahoma, and that was just a great atmosphere. Not only the students, alumni, and just people as well that were in the stands. Anyway, to the game itself. There is one thing that I can say this team has done pretty much all year long, except with the exception of you know the Santa Clara game and then stretches during the Baylor game. They defend. Like, they will defend you. They held Oklahoma to 22% shooting from three, only 40% from the field. 58 points on the night, and there was a stretch in the second half where OU went scoreless for like six minutes. I mean, it was ridiculous. They just put the clamps down defensively. Oklahoma also had some sloppy play on offense. Mike Miles, not a great night. Three for 12, only six points. Um, You know, did have a couple tough buckets, but couldn't really get going. I think that wrist is bothering him. The hero of the game to me, now Chuck O'Bannon hit a big three um, in overtime, about 30 seconds left to give the team a 59-56 lead. But Micah Peavy was huge on Saturday. He was 5 of 8 from the field, 11 points. He got he went coast to coast a couple times. He got in the lane. He made some big buckets. But mainly it was his defense. I just think his defense set the tone in a huge way. Um, again, this team, they just find a way. Like, they're not – Miles has been their most consistent guy. But you've had different players step up at different times. Emmanuel Miller – was big time for this team early in the season. He still played really well, but he's not scoring at the same clip he was early in the year. However, now Micah Peavy stepped up a little bit. They get quality minutes from their bigs, even if it doesn't really show up in the point section. Xavier Cork had a couple of nice buckets. He played 15 solid minutes. Eddie Lampkin, again, he's been amazing. He had a big time assist in overtime. That was huge. Like they're just getting quality minutes from their front court, which has been a, a huge thing. So, you know, they they finally sort of take control of that game. The game started, OU came, bounced out to a 9-0 run. TCU came back, made it 9-8. At one point, um, OU was up like 38-31. TCU rallied back, made it 38-37. That was sort of the game. Over the first half, you get into about halfway through the second half, OU would push out to a 6-7 point lead, and then TCU would come to but they couldn't quite take the lead. And then finally... In the second half, um, Micah Peavy sort of took over. That defense took over. They were able to get some buckets, and they were actually up 48-42 to 42 with a couple minutes left in the game, and you felt pretty good about where they were. Um, again, some missed free throws down the stretch. Damian Ball missed a free throw late. That could have put the game away. And Oklahoma had a chance down two with the ball. They're inbounding, and Damian Ball comes up with a big block after – it looked like they were going to give up an open three. So now there's one second left. OU has it all under the basket. And TCU, there was some miscommunication. There was a guy who set a screen, and he sort of got shoved towards the, the hoop, and nobody picked him up. And Oklahoma just got a wide-open layup at the buzzer. It was ridiculous. I mean, it it was it looked like a back-breaking play. It looked like the type of play that you give up and you say, okay, well, we're probably going to lose now. We gave up a really silly layup in that situation. The momentum's all on Oklahoma's side now. But 
to the Frogs' credit, they came out and they didn't let the Sooners go on a 7-0 or 10-0 run in the ball game. They hung around, they fought, Eddie Lampkin had a huge assist in the overtime session um, that helped cut into the Oklahoma lead. They got it to a tie game, and then Sheck O'Bannon, who had not made a three all game, he splashed a corner three. It was another smart play by Mike Miles. He was driving in, the defense collapsed on him. And much like in that K-State game when he found Damian Ball, he kicked it out to Chuck, and O'Bannon hit a big shot. And, you know, that's two games in a row now where they have hit big shots. They were open looks, but still, you got to knock them down. And they did, which is huge for a team that really struggles to score. Listen, like, this group has some flaws. They get bogged down in the half court. They They have a lot of guys that can create their own shot. On Saturday, that was really the first time all year they got pushed around on the boards a little bit. Oklahoma just sort of had their number, getting the loose balls, getting rebounds. TCU wasn't doing much on the offensive glass, which is generally a place where they thrive. But they still found a way to get a victory. So now they're 2-1 in conference play. Oklahoma State coming up on Wednesday. And I'll tell you, man, this league is an absolute meat grinder. Like Kansas State, Texas Tech, which look like the hottest team in the nation, they go up to Kansas State on Saturday afternoon, they get beat. Baylor's now lost two in a row. They fell to Oklahoma State at home. They've lost two games at the Farrell Center. You know, Kansas has shown some vulnerability, but they were able to get a big win against West Virginia. It, it just If you're betting on the lines in Big 12 basketball, good luck. Because it is, I mean, it's day-to-day, week-to-week, who's going to get a victory? But, hey, you go up to Stillwater, if you can find a way to get another win on the road, that would be big. This team's playing well. I'm excited about them. You know, again, like, they, they have some issues, they have some flaws, but they're hanging in there, and they're finding ways to win ball games, and that's a big deal. We'll keep you uh, updated on TCU basketball all through the week, as well as TCU football. This is Locked on Horn Frogs, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. It's your team every day.